as Gary comes up to uh, to preach, I'm going to just pray for him. Father, bless, um, bless Gary as he preaches your word. Lord, may he have joy as he preaches. Bless the preparation he's put in. and Give us hearts to understand what it is that you have to say to us today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because there are times that we have, we gather to worship and our focus is on our Father in heaven and our aim is to worship. And then there are other times of worship where the simple response is absolutely nothing. I just get a real sense of the Holy Spirit moving in this place this morning. Whether it's um, the, the, the servant-heartedness of our worship team as they bring us into musical worship. And then in that uh, quietness of waiting on the Holy Spirit, I get a sense that there is like a noise in the quietness that is only something of God moving in this place where our only acceptable response is nothing, is to receive what the Holy Spirit has in mind. So Nick, thank you for being open to Holy Spirit. Thank you for being open to the promptings of Holy Spirit this morning. And sometimes there is an awkwardness in, in, in quietness, isn't there? And yet, the still, small voice of calm speaks into our minds and our hearts and our spirit. Amen. Amen. I was looking for an opener this morning and I couldn't I really couldn't think of anything. And what better opener was there was there to have that lead in and a real sense that there was a move of the Holy Spirit here this morning. Some weeks ago, um, you may remember we talked about resting and moving into our work as opposed to working and then from exhaustion coming to rest, that actually God designed us for rest to facilitate us to go out and work. We've just moved into a season of Lent, and so this morning is about a follow-on from rest into abiding and unlocking. We're going to have a look at John chapter 15, so if you'd like to get your Bibles out, uh, we're going to move to that in a few moments. John chapter 15. This chapter is 
famous for always good if it turns it on for me yes. I never remember um, for two primary reasons this is the chapter where Jesus says to his disciples I no longer call you servants I call you friends John chapter 15 verse 15 but we're going to concentrate this morning on the first eight verses and the first eight verses deal with an illustration of the nature of a believer in our relationship with God and he uses the this terminology the vine dresser the vine the branches and the fruit he uses these four things and we're going to read it in a moment but the vine dresser the one who owns the vineyard is the Heavenly Father Jesus himself is the vine the people you and me we are the branches and the fruit that is naturally produced is because of our connection to the vine our connection to Jesus now Nick gave a picture of being refreshed and rebuilt by uh, water and there is no fruit tree no vegetable garden no vineyard actually works of its own accord to bring forth fruit it bears fruit naturally if it is fed well if it is watered well and if it is pruned correctly God's reward is all growth comes as a result of pruning pruning in the kingdom is not a punishment people look at the discipline of God and, and they assume that the discipline or the pruning of the Lord has to do with punishment the Word of God is what proves us just in the same way you know when we're making bread I don't do it very often I see the, the, the powder go into the machine and the water get mixed in with it but it gets proved we have to let the dough rest and abide in the warmth so that it rises up in the same way when we rest and abide in the word of the Lord this is what proves us John 15 verses 1 to 8 I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you abide 
in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and it is withered. And they gather them and they throw them in the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This is a fundamental and great passage and we should never tire of reading or learning from it because it's an invitation into a state of fruitfulness and all of us don't we all of us want to be fruitful in our relationship with God and fruitful in our relationships with one another here's an illustration of fruitfulness you remember the landowner who gave his ten servants, each a miner. A miner was a sum of money. You remember the other story about the three servants that received talents. A talent was also a sum of money, and in each case they were to invest that money to make a profit to give back to the landowner. What I want us to grasp from the very beginning to the very end is that God created everything to be productive. Everything is to bear fruit by nature. Everything about our life is to be productive and fruit bearing. God is actually glorified by a system that he created where a plum tree grows plums. You eat the fruit, you plant the seed, and it grows another plant, a plum tree that brings more plums. The cycle of life is from seed to fruit. God made everything in his economy linked directly to his voice. Which is, not all, which is not only all-powerful, but it is creative in nature. Genesis 1. And God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke things into being. And when he speaks to us, still small voice and quietness when he speaks to us faith comes to us 
by hearing and hearing the word of God. So his design is that everything would happen through the voice of his word. Voice of his actual word, voice of his written word. In John 16, the very next chapter, Jesus describes how he has re-inherited everything. The Father has given everything back into his hands. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because he forfeited everything as God to become man. Now he's still 100% God, so don't get me wrong on that. But he chooses to take on flesh and live in the restrictions of being a human. But in that position as man now, he re-inherits everything. Everything that he had as God, he now re-inherits as a man. Why? Because now, as a man, he <coughs> now views us as a close friend or brother. And he now gets to include us in his inheritance. In John 16, he announces, All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, The Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. All that the Father has is mine. The Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's not merely making an announcement here of what he owns. He is transferring a resource from the bank account in heaven to an earthly account and the transfer takes place whenever he speaks. Not only does God create, not only does he transfer resource through his decree, through his declaration, but the Bible says every molecule is held in place by his voice, by his word. Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things, and by him all things are held together. And the contemporary worship song says, For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Everything is defined. Everything is empowered. Everything is created. Everything is sustained through his word. So when we come to this story of us being the vine, we have Father God as the vine dresser, verse 1. Verse 2, every branch in me which does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. He rewards all of our growth with pruning. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Jesus is saying to his disciples here, Jesus is saying to you and me, now listen, when you bear fruit, I am going to prune you. Because when I prune you, you're going to bear more fruit. The Lord does everything for the purpose of increase. The Father is outrageously focused on increase. The story of the talents and the miners, it was always about increase. And the minimum level of profit allowed in those two, two stories was 100% per year. 100% per year. When God does the pruning, it's all about increase. Pruning is normal. He'll do the pruning. All we need to do is just stay attached. Staying connected, you'll bear fruit. He says, you are clean already because of the word I spoke to you. The word clean and the word prune are basically one and the same word. So when he says to the disciples, you are clean already, he's saying, I've already pruned you. How did he prune them? By the word I have spoken to you. The pruning wasn't with the hand. It was with the mouth. It wasn't a yelling and a screaming. It was adjusting a value so that they could become more fruitful. Pruning their, their value system, if you like, their interpretation of things. For example, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends the disciples out in ministry and they are very, very very productive. They come back with stories of breakthrough. It's a little bit like uh, caring and sharing on steroids. They're beside themselves with excitement. But you remember, the very next moment, they're in this group without Jesus. And Jesus walks up to them and he says, Hey guys, what are you talking about? He already knows what they're talking about. And they were arguing about who amongst them was the greatest. Some of the things in our heart will not come to the fore in our failures and our weaknesses. Some things will only come to the fore in our successes. And the hardest place to minister, don't we know it, is at home. The people where we're closest to, our families. So Jesus sent them home to minister. Because if you can minister at home, then you, um, then you can learn to minister out of obedience rather than applause. Jesus sent them home and they got breakthrough and they bring the reports back. I 
I want to share with you some things that have happened this week. This is this is my bit of caring and sharing, perhaps on steroids, because when we bring testimony, it encourages us, encourages us. This week, I have witnessed someone seeing a member of our church family in some distress and some significant pain and simply coming alongside them and offering to pray for them in their moment of need. I've witnessed this week one of our church family who never thought that they could pray for a complete stranger step out in their discomfort, bless someone through inviting the Holy Spirit to minister to that individual. I've had the privilege this week of witnessing one of our church family speaking healing over another person not known to them at all for healing for an ongoing bad back pain. I've witnessed this week someone in our church family praying for someone learning in this whole modelling of what Jesus did process and learning to wait and wait and wait giving permissions for the Holy Spirit to move waiting in the knowledge that we are given authority and power to speak healing over people in the name of Jesus. Just to remind us all, Jesus didn't call us to pray for healing. He commanded us to speak healing into people's lives in his name. And the problem that most of us have is that we don't believe what we have been empowered to do because our faith is too small. But not with these first century disciples. They believed, they modelled what Jesus taught them, they went back to their hometowns and they saw the fruits, the fruits that come from being attached to the vine. You see, people who hang out with Jesus begin to dream of and recognise personal significance in ways that they never thought possible before. Peter, the disciple, never thought that he would be able to walk on water. The disciples never initially believed that they could see healing in their presence and without Jesus being there. There is something about being with people that believe in you. And how much did Jesus trust them? He trusted them enough to turn them loose on their hometowns and villages. How old were these disciples? We don't actually know. But Peter was most likely 
the eldest, aged around 20. As he was the only one who had to pay temple taxes, Matthew 17, 24 to 27. The others were under that age, and schooling, we knew in that culture, finished at age 15 for all but the best of the best of the best. The remainder were sent home from school to ply their father's trade, and this means that most of them, most of the disciples, would have been teenagers. <laughs> Jesus trusted teenagers. <laughs> Having someone believe in you stirs up something powerful and right, a sense of personal significance. And what happened? They bore fruit. What was the fruit? The fruit was miracles, physical and spiritual healings and deliverances. The disciples were the representation of Jesus in their hometowns. Jesus wasn't there. That was good fruit. They came back. They started arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest. Not so good fruit. A branch that only produces leaves and no fruit is not good fruit. <coughs> Jesus wants them to be productive and not just produce leaves. Jesus encourages them and rewards them in the growth. But he also points to what's developing inside of them that's not healthy. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That every one of us that has gifts under the Lordship of Jesus brings him great glory, but outside of the Lordship of Jesus causes problems. Take Peter. I can, I can relate to Peter. I can repeat, uh, relate to Peter so much because he's like a um, foot in the uh, mouth type person. He opens mouth before engaging brain. What has, what has Peter done? Peter, before he's even recognised it in his mind, he's denied Jesus three times. Peter's the guy on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is there and Elijah is there and Moses is there. He says, what a great idea. Why don't we put up three tents? It would be fun, idiot. What about G uh, Peter when he's rebuking Jesus? He says, Jesus, that's a really bad idea for, for you to go to the cross. Don't do that, Matthew 16, 22. However, when he is under the lordship of Jesus, Peter stands before a multitude of people who are shouting and mocking the spirit and the end result is 3,000 people come to Christ. Jesus encourages them and says, this branch here is great and bearing good fruits. This one here is just growing leaves. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to prune him right back. And he sets them up. And as a, as a result of the pruning, in readiness, it brings tremendous fruitfulness. Jesus says, I'm pruning because I want to give life, not take it away. Don't you see? My pruning is more fruitful. Luke 9, verse 56. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So pruning is not about destruction, but about giving life and increase. So what are the disciples like, and what do we look like as disciples? Well, they had the right zeal, they had the right significance because of Jesus' encouragement. They were committed to the journey, they made loads of mistakes, but they were still saying, yes, Lord, take us forward in you. You see... Jesus took his teenagers and he encouraged them. How? By showing them what good fruit looked like. By taking them to one side and guiding them in the non-fruitful branches. And encouraging them in what pruning looked like. He said, my aim is that you're at least 100% more fruitful. This week, I had a, what I believe to be a prophetic word spoken over me, which I believe may be a word that's not just for me, but might be a word for our wider church family. The word was unlock and the wider prophetic word was unlock something that has lain dormant or unused and I believe that the Lord might be saying to us here you have lain dormant for too long there is a day coming, and that day may be upon us right now, that I want to bring increase, and I want to bring restoration, and I want to bring bountiful fruitfulness. <clears throat> so if we are modelling what Jesus modelled, then we are in the realms of empowering new leaders here, we're going to be in the realms of encouraging those who are committed to the journey. And yes, guess what? We are going to make loads of mistakes along the way. But you see, Jesus didn't just empower the twelve. At the start of John 10, he then encouraged and empowered the 72. 
So we may be in for a time of pruning, but we should embrace this time as a forerunner and a season of fruitfulness and abundance. Yes, it's going to be messy. And yes, we're going to have to learn to live in humility and grace with one another. But now, now is the time for you to step up and step into your true self. Your real self in the fruits of the Spirit. It's time for you to start getting a grasp, not only of who Jesus is in you, but who you are in him. So as we come to a close, I'm going to invite you, if you see yourself as one who is eager to step into your true self, the way that Jesus sees you, and you want to see a move of the Holy Spirit in your life, then if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to pray. And all I'm doing this morning is inviting you to step in to being the men and women of God that he made us to be. So that when we move out from here today, we are settled in our hearts and in our spirit that we are going to be significant people in the kingdom. So you've had 20 seconds. If you're one of those people and you'd like to stand, if you see yourself as eager to step into who God sees you as, the way Jesus sees you as, and you want to see a move of the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to stand now. And we'll pray. Father, all of us here just want to grow up and taste who you really are in our lives and our livelihoods that we have. So, by the authority that you have given me as a child of God, and a disciple of Jesus in your kingdom, I proclaim to our church family here present, I proclaim over you today a quickening spirit. The Bible says that the first Adam was a living soul, but the second Adam was a life-giving spirit, a quickening spirit. So I pray in Jesus' name that your relationship with God will speed up it will quicken. I proclaim over you today a time of divine acceleration and I declare and proclaim in the name of Jesus that you shall receive a spirit of acceleration and that the Lord gives you an anointing for quick, 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 quick victories. And he gives you an anointing for fast breakthroughs. 
I get the impression that the Lord says to, to, to you this morning that if you think that you've got a long-standing problem, that it's now going to fall to you in this season. That in this next year, major difficulties and hurdles in your life will begin to diminish and to disappear. And that you will grow in size in the name of Jesus. And as your anointing grows, and as your relationship grows, so will your capacity to enjoy every single thing in life, even in the difficult times. And I declare over us now, we will come to a place in this quickening, in this divine acceleration, where we will learn to love to see the joy and to take joy in everything, even in difficult stuff. And we'll recognize that joy is available in every circumstance of life. And in Jesus' name, I declare to you that you will encourage and bless and bring the healing touch of Jesus in the hands that you lay on people. That you will see joy. You will know joy. You will experience the joy of the Lord. And that you will learn to live every day under his smile. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.